You know, and, and I thought, man, you know what? A, a lot of folks that I know have a similar philosophy when it comes to their spiritual life. It's like, it, it's kind of like you live any way you want to live, and then you draw a religious frame around it, and it just fits just perfect. You know, and uh, there's nothing new about that philosophy, by the way. And in fact, that's why the Apostle Paul warned Timothy and admonished Timothy to retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and to guard the treasure entrusted to you. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the point that he's making is this to Timothy, saying, listen, you know what? Retain the this, this standard of sound words, the standard, definitive standard by which all of human behavior must be measured. And we've got to look at God's standard, the Word of God, and measure ourselves or hold ourselves up against that standard. It's kind of like when your children were little and they were measuring how tall that they were. And we did this in the garage where you'd go and you'd stand up against the wall and you would measure, you know, what the height was, what the day was or the year, whatever. And you would see that there was progression that was being made. Now, there are many times in life where our children felt like, especially, that they, they, were, they were getting taller. And, you know, and you could argue with them all you want. You know, I'm feeling tall today. Oh, hey, I'm glad you're feeling tall. No, seriously, I'm, I'm getting taller. Well, you know, go stand up and measure yourself against that objective standard, not your feelings, but whether or not you're really getting tall or not. And then, you know, many times you stand up against it and go, man, I think I shrunk. <laughs> and you go, wait, what's happening to me? And so there's that objective standard of the Word of God that all human behavior must be measured against. God's standard doesn't change. His standard doesn't change, and the warning that Paul gave to Timothy is sound warning for all of us, and he's saying, listen, the sound standard of the Word of God, which has been entrusted to you as a pastor, an elder, an overseer, a shepherd of the flock of God, retain that same standard, and never forget that all human behavior is to be measured against God's Word and not by any other social de desires that are out there or social agenda. It doesn't matter what we think and it doesn't matter how many of us think it and it doesn't matter how many we gather to think the same way that we do. If it doesn't measure up against God's standard, then we must throw it out. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to pick up where we left off the last time that we were together. And Paul, in this particular passage, is warning. You remember, it's kind of the famous last words of the Apostle Paul, his deathbed profession of faith, his deathbed insight or wisdom that he gives. And he's warning Timothy and all of God's people of the danger of distractions. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read these, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words. You, therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory." It is a trustworthy statement 
For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, but he cannot deny himself. This past week, I spoke at the memorial service of our friend who lost her battle with cancer. She was 44 years old when she died. And throughout the course of her struggle, we had opportunities to discuss what God had been teaching her and the lessons that she had learned, the insight that she had gained, that deathbed insight and wisdom as she had gone through this trial. And as she lay on her deathbed, you know, it became crystal clear that the only thing that truly mattered was her relationship to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and her desire that her children and her family and friends would come to know him also as Lord and Savior. See, all of life's distractions were seen as just that in that moment of time and as distractions from that which is truly important, the eternal things of life. You know, in this passage, Paul warns in a similar manner Timothy and all believers of the danger of such distractions and the importance of staying focused on what is truly important. In other words, he helps all to recognize and discern and to understand, to be able to separate the eternal from that which is temporal. You know, and all of the Word of God warns us against getting so hung up on that which is temporary that we lose sight of the eternal. And we'll talk more about that as we look at this warning. As we examine the passage, we're going to uh, divide it into four categories. Last week it was three categories, which we only got to one and a half. So this week it's four uh, because I've added some verses at the end of, uh, of this particular passage, verses 11 through 13. So we're going to look at four things, and we will actually get to all of them. The first thing that we saw the last time we were together was the exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy and is one that we should all heed, and that has to do with the fact that we are to be strong. He ties therefore, meaning that uh, it had to do with, with being bold in our witness, our testimony to share the gospel with others. You know, as we think about the opportunities that we have to be bold and at the same time we become timid, we become shy, we shy away from those opportunities, we rationalize, justify, we make all kinds of excuses why it's not the right time, why this isn't the right place, why, you know, it really shouldn't happen here and now and then. And so we begin to, we, we begin to shy away. And if you remember what Paul had warned him about, he said that for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He's saying that, to, that we need to be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. This is the answer to the problem of why we shy away from those opportunities when they come up. You know, if you think about it, the strength, our strength, is the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, when you think about the life of our Lord, think about the strength that we saw in his life as he was arrested in the garden as he was tried before Pilate, as he was beaten and scourged, as he was crowned with thorns, as he was taken to the cross and nailed to the cross, as he endured, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, that he endured the pain and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. The strength and the dignity that he had to go through that process is the same strength and dignity, the grace of God that we see when we look at the disciples, for example, as they went through the apostles, a very similar ordeal. You know, to be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. It's so important to recognize and understand that the same strength or grace that was in Christ is available to you and I. When we see and we look at, for example, I think about the, as Stephen as he was martyred and the dignity and the, and the grace and the strength by which he endured his stoning. 
You think about the fact that he could say, you know, Father, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. You think about every one of the disciples who endured the same type of thing. Think of Peter, James, and John as they were beaten for Christ's sake or the testimony of the gospel. And they were beaten and then they went dancing down the street and they were singing praises to God that they were considered worthy by God to suffer for Christ's sake. You think about Paul and Silas in prison in Acts chapter 16, arrested, wrongly accused, arrested on groundless charges, thrown into prison, and they were singing praises and hymns to God all night. What a great opportunity this is to be considered worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel to the point where all of the, 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 the other prisoners were there going, what are these guys, crazy? You don't hear much praising God and singing. I'm telling you right now, if you've ever visited a prisoner, if you've ever visited anybody there, there's not a whole lot of shouting hallelujah, singing and praising of God. There's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of anger. And the Lord's name's mentioned often, but not in this same context. You go, well, how could they do that? How was Paul able to endure all of the suffering that he went through? The many times that he was beaten and stoned and left for dead, the many times he was left, four times he was shipwrecked and left bobbing up and down in, in, the, in the Mediterranean Sea, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, but at the same time, he was able to endure it. How did he endure it? He endured it because he was strong in the grace that was in Christ Jesus. In fact, what's interesting is throughout church history, the English word martyr translate a, translates the Greek word martyr, which simply meant to be a witness simply meant to testify of that which you have seen or that you, which you know firsthand. We are called to be God's witnesses. We are called to be martyrs, witnesses. In the Greek language, it simply meant we're called to tell other people what the Lord has done in our life. That's our responsibility, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us from darkness into light. But because so many Christians died proclaiming Christ in the gospel, we now know the word martyr. When you think of the word martyr, you immediately think of one who sacrificed their life for that which they had believed. That is how that word has evolved. How were they able? How were all of these people able to be so courageous? How can we exhibit the same type of courage today as we are his witnesses to the world around us? Proclaiming to the world the gospel, the only way to heaven is through Christ Jesus, our Lord, his death and his resurrection. Where can we find the same strength and boldness? Let me just share with you a very personal illustration. Standing in the same very spot on Friday morning, there were probably about 500 people that were here for the memorial service. Probably as many of them, and, and you know, I hate to throw out percentages, but knowing the group and knowing the crowd and knowing that the gal had come to faith in Christ later in life, probably 90% of the people that were here had never come to understand or clearly hear the gospel. And I heard the weeping and I heard the mourning. And 1 Thessalonians 4 says that, you know, concerning the dead brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know, I don't want you to have, you know, I don't want you to, to mourn like those in the world who have no hope because we have our hope in Christ and the promises of God. But when you hear people wail and mourn who have no hope, and then you hear people, the eulogists get up and speak well of the person, and yet they have no hope themselves. The words are so hollow. And I was sitting in that chair watching a video of her life in overview, and frankly, I was about ready to just fall apart. And I thought, God, I can't, I can't get through this, Lord. And then I, I realized that everything that we're talking about, everything that God is telling us, Paul, Timothy, through the word of God that is coming to us as well, is equally applicable to us and I applied what God has been teaching us 
through this passage. And that is simply this. God, you know what? In my own strength, I cannot do this. And I need to call upon the grace, the strength that was in Christ Jesus to be able to stand here and proclaim the truth of the Word of God. And you know what? And God's Word never disappoints us. You see, when you struggle at home or at work or with family members or others and you're, you're timid about sharing what, what, what the Lord has done in your life, what you have seen and what you have heard and what you know to be true, and you hesitate to share because it's like it's not the right time, it's not the right place, I can't do this, I don't know the right words, I don't know enough scripture, I don't know I have enough background. You know, we struggle and we wrestle with all of these things. I challenge you to turn to the Lord and ask Him at that moment of your weakness, God, may I be strong in the grace that was in Christ Jesus. Give me the words to speak. There are many times where I go somewhere and I have no idea what I'm going to say until I get there, but I trust the Lord and He's never let me down. Be strong in the words which are in Christ Jesus. See, God's word doesn't disappoint. God is not a liar. God cannot deceive us. What he tells us is true. The same grace that was in Christ is why Paul could say to the Philippians as he wrote to them from prison, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It ain't about me. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my education. It's not about my understanding, my background or anything. Lord, it's all about the grace that is in me, which was in Christ, for Christ lives within me. If any man is in Christ and any man who has Christ in him has the same strength and grace and power that's exhibited throughout all of Scripture. To be strong in the grace which was in Christ Jesus. My point is very simple and it's this. We have no excuse before God for not being bold in our sharing of the gospel. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline. One of the greatest distractions of life is the distraction of fear. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. Trust in me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and in all your way. He shall acknowledge, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Don't be distraught. Don't be distracted by fear. Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And now to help us better understand this truth, Paul then begins to give us uh, four examples as he shares with Timmy, Timothy, four examples that as we look at this, um, we'll be able to learn many things from it. The first one is he gives us the example... Of that of a teacher. He says the things that he has to do that we, that we entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others has to do with the idea of faithfulness. Uh, we illustrated it with the, with, the, with the idea or the thought behind running a relay race. All of God's people are entrusted with the truth of the word of God, the same standard that you have heard and seen and received from me. This entrusts to faithful men who will then go out and preach the same thing. You know what? Our responsibility as teachers, as preachers, as pastors, as overseers, as bishops and elders and all the rest of it, our greatest responsibility is to guard that which has been entrusted to us, the sound word of God. The standard of the word of God. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. One of the strategies of the enemy, the strategy of the devil, is to rob that, that treasure from the hearts of those whom it has been entrusted to so that we do not share the truth of the word of God with those who need to hear it. We have to always be alert to that. 
to be alert to the schemes and the strategies of the devil. A teacher must be faithful. The second illustration that he gives is that of a soldier, and it carries with it the idea of commitment. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, where we're reminded of the spiritual battle that all of us are in in this lifetime. Ephesians chapter 6, and I want, to see, I want you to see how these tie together. In Ephesians 6, 6 in verse 10, we read these words. Notice the same thought that Paul gives here as he writes to the church at Ephesus with that which he just gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength, not in your own abilities, not in your own understanding, not in your own knowledge, not in your own efforts, not in your own passions, not in your own anything. Be strong in the Lord. The grace, in the grace that was in Christ Jesus, in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes, the strategies of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And as we look at this and he goes, continues to go through, he tells us how to dress appropriately for the battle that we are all in. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we notice he's talking about a commitment. And there are three uh, characteristics of a good soldier that we find in verse 3. He's saying, hey, you're not just a soldier of Jesus Christ. You're to be a good soldier. And there's three things that are true of every good soldier. Number one, a good soldier endures hardship. A good soldier endures hardship. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. The whole idea of suffering hardship as a good soldier is the same thing I've just shared with you. You know, where the disciples and the apostles and the martyrs throughout church history, all of them suffered for the cause of Christ. He's saying, be a good soldier along with me. Suffer hardship. The, the garbage messages that are out in our culture today that God wants us to be happy. God wants to, to free us from pain. God wants to, you know, he doesn't want us to suffer in this lifetime. Listen, the only suffering that God doesn't want his people to endure is the suffering that's caused by our disobedience, rebellion, and his discipline in our life. That is what I call self-inflicted wounds. There's no excuse for that. God doesn't want any of his people to ever suffer that from that standpoint. Just as you and I who have children never want our children to suffer because they've been disciplined for doing that which is wrong. But when we suffer for doing that which is right, we praise God that he considers us worthy to suffer for his name's sake. It's a totally different environment. Consider that all joy. That's good stuff, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you will be perfect, complete, man of God, lacking in nothing. That's good stuff. But when you suffer for doing what is wrong, you know what? Hey, What's the big deal? When you suffer for doing what's right, that is a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. He says, suffer with me, endure hardship with me. You see, there's no soldier who is fighting the war against terrorism today that doesn't understand that there's no price great enough to pay because the bigger picture is more important. The safety, the security, the future of this nation, our freedom, our children, and future generations. There has never been a soldier who has gone into war who understood the bigger picture that what wasn't willing to pay any price in order to ensure that the final goal was met. That's why we celebrate days like Memorial Day to recognize and honor those who laid down their life for the cause, in this case, of our nation, so that you and I could have the freedom today to come and hear the word of God proclaimed boldly and clearly so that we can take that message into the world that we live in. We have the freedom to do it because someone else saw how important it was to pay the price. 
you and I are to endure hardship just the same in the cause of Christ because the freedoms of this country, the freedoms of this lifetime are temporary compared to that which is eternal in nature, which has to do with the final destiny of every human being. How much more should we be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ that that agenda is promoted and carried forth? He says, you know what, endure suffering. He also talks about avoid, notice this in verse 4, avoid worldly entanglements. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Jesus often warned of the dangers of materialism to keep us from accomplishing God's purposes in our life. Turn with me and we'll look at some of these examples quickly in Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew chapter 6, the first gospel, chapter 6, verse 19. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we read these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stop spending so much time, you know, laying up treasures here on earth because at the end of the day, you know what? They all stay behind. On Friday, the memorial service, we left here and we drove to Fairhaven. I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it until, you know, I, 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 I'm not here to say it anymore. And that's this. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know, all her stuff she left behind. And the only things that went ahead were things that had an eternal value to them that she stored up in heaven that would await her as she was judged before the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ for the purposes, purpose of getting rewards for faithful service in this lifetime and never before the great white throne judgment where the wrath of God will be poured out upon all those who reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, the Bible is very clear. We're to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven that will be waiting for us there that have eternal value to them and we spend much more time storing up stuff here on earth that remains after we're gone and how foolish we are and how the word of God helps us to see the difference between the temporal and that which is eternal and he's not done there go to Matthew chapter 16 and look at verse 26 Starting with verse 24, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, in fact, you know, it's real important to understand the context. Let's look at verse 21. From, the time, from that time forward, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, I love Peter. Man, it's like, you know, if he doesn't represent a lot of folks that I know, including myself, it's like, Lord, no, I got to straighten you out. I got to tell you what the plan really is. Obviously, you got a problem. How many times do we go to God and tell God, well, no, no, you, you misunderstand the plan. <laughs> Here's the way the plan's supposed to work. Peter took him aside and he, and he said, that's never going to happen to you. <laughs> but he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. What was Peter's interest? 
Their argument all the time that they had, their continuing number one argument was who was going to be the greatest when the, when the kingdom of God was established. They had hoped, they had prayed, they had longed for the day that Jesus would take his rightful place in Jerusalem as king of kings and lord of lords and overthrow the Roman government. And they used to argue, well, one of us will be at the right, one of us will be at the left. Peter already figured out he'd be at the, at the right and he really didn't care. That, he'd leave that up to the Lord who would be on his left. You know, but wait, 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 no, no. If you go and, and this happens, you're going to suffer, you're going to die. What was the kingdom part? Where does that come in? I got, I got it all planned. I already ordered my throne. I put a down payment on it, deposit. It's not refundable. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will, it, what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, we hear jokes about selling, selling your soul to the devil. That's not a joke at all. When Jesus was offered all the kingdoms of the world by Satan, he never rebuked them. Jesus didn't rebuke them and say, it's not yours to offer. He's got that to offer people. But if you can enjoy the temporary pleasures of this life for a temporary period of time and compare it to the backdrop of eternity, duh, what are you thinking? Think it through a little bit further. What are you thinking? I deal with guys all the time in professional sports and I challenge them to consider, especially guys as we'll talk about as we get to athletics, where there are people that are trying to do things that are, are not according to the rules to, in other words, enhance their performance or to keep them competitive or to keep them in the game, only to tell them that, you know what, after these two or three or four or five or even ten years are over of your life and you're 30 or 32 years old when you're done playing professional sports and all the health hazards that are out there for what you're choosing to do, my counsel was very simple. If God wants you here, he will keep you here. And if he doesn't want you here, you cannot do that which is wrong before God to stay here without paying some price somewhere along the line. Payday one day. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize in Luke chapter 12, he continues. Luke 12, he says, be on guard against every form of greed. It's the same answer of being distracted or entangled by the things of this world. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he said to them, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable and said the land of a certain rich man was very productive. He began to reason to himself, said, what shall I do since I have no place for my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. It sounds like a little kid. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Ay, 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 mine, 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 mine. He goes on, he says, you know what? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's almost like people that are investing in the market today. You know, wow, look at all that I had. I don't know how many people I've talked about. It's like, wow, you know what? I had it all planned out. What happened? I don't know. You tell me what happened. My portfolio, it has shrunk. Well, what happened? Well, here, read this parable. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You fool. 
And you know what? That's not a good thing, by the way. You know, all through Scripture where you see the word fool, the, fool, the foolish person says in his heart there is no God. So there's not a lot of hope for a fool. But the warning is very simple. Do not get caught up in the entanglements of this lifetime. That's what we can learn from that of a soldier. It's easy to lose track of our objectives. It's easy to get sidetracked or distracted from that which is really important. And you know what? And, and a lot of times it just happens really subtly, kind of erodes slowly, and then all of a sudden ex explodes all at once. Let me tell you, let me share with you a true story that I had heard years ago and that continues to teach me truth. As it relates to this, you will see how appropriate it is. This is the actual experience of a man who was living in the South, and he wrote this. He said, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages in the listing of restaurants an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, and I dialed the number. A man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. I asked how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name, and he told me, well, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service, closed down the mission. After a while, we closed down the church altogether and kept on serving chicken dinners. We kept the name we started with, and that's the Church of God Grill. How sad is that? We started out in the right direction, but somewhere along the line we got sidetracked. Somewhere along the line we got distracted. Somewhere along the line we did not have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the, the joy before him endured the cross and despised the same. Somewhere along the line we lost focus. And that's a frightening place to be as God's people who are here as ambassadors to Christ. Could you imagine an ambassador to, to, for the United States who is, is, is assigned to Spain that goes to Spain and goes, wow, they got cool beaches in Spain. Great Mexican restaurants, which I guess would be Spanish restaurants. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those little things you think of at the last second, you know? It's like, well, you know, what do you call Chinese food in China? Uh, food, right? Uh, yes, I don't know. But, but the point, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm getting distracted. Getting distracted. You know, and the purpose is to stay focused on the mission. I had a missionary come to me a couple of weeks ago after hearing a Bible study here. And he said, I want to share with you a story, but I'm almost embarrassed to share it, but I think it will be helpful to you and to those you share it with. The couple that was sent out to the mission field. The purpose of a missionary, the mission of a missionary, is to proclaim the gospel to a lost and condemned world. He said, you know, we try to build relationships. We try to develop friendships so that we can earn the right to be heard. He goes, and then when we develop these relationships in order to be, earn the right to be heard, then we become timid in sharing the gospel so we don't offend the friends that we have just made. Interesting, huh? He said, so, in order to reach this group of people we were with, one of the men in the group had come to faith in Christ. So we invited him to be the guest speaker because he would be sensitive to the local culture and the background and all the rest of it. 
And so we invited a whole bunch of people to our home and basically deferred you know, to him so that he would be the one who could offend them if he chose to do so by sharing the gospel and they could kind of take you know, a safe seat over here. So, so as this man gets up to share how he had come to faith in the, in the only Savior the world knows, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing he says to this group of people that were invited, you people are all worshiping false gods. And he said that they were in a corner going, like, ooh. And then he went on to proceed to share the gospel with them. Afterwards, several people in the group came over to them and said, we need to have more people like that come and share with us. We need to hear the truth. And he said, man, if he wasn't convicted at that point about being timid and ashamed of the gospel. And my point is not to ridicule them but to just illustrate very carefully how, easily it, it, how easy it is to be sidetracked and distracted from that which we're called to do. Because you know what? Though a missionary goes into the world to proclaim the gospel, they have no different, no different of a responsibility than you and I to do the same. And while we may be immediately harsh and condemning of them, be very careful because you know what? we are held by the same standard. We are to be witnesses of his. We may not go to a foreign country, but then at the same time, you know what? Some of us, our businesses are very foreign to the things of God, aren't they? I'm telling you, as a contractor, the construction industry is not one that is, that is, that is you know, just loaded with, with people that love the Lord. Everywhere that I've spoke, all I ever hear are people whine about, well, you don't understand how hard it is to be a Christian and a professional athlete, to be in a professional baseball, to be in professional football, to be in professional hockey. Wah, 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 wah. You know? I, go, I, wanna, I spoke at Camp Pendleton. You don't know how hard it is to be a believer and be in the military. You know, and you're defending our country? Wah, 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 wah. You know? And, and, and that's the response. You know, and that's exactly the response I give. So, you know, it's just like, you know what? You know, okay, it's not easy for any of us. We're all aliens. We're all sojourners. We're all passing through. All who have put their faith and trust in Christ, our citizenship is heaven. We are on assignment. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Get busy doing what we're called to do. It isn't easy for any of us. That's why we're to be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. He gives us everything we need. You know, and Paul's not talking about things that are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with selling good chicken dinners. But what's the purpose of it? Why did God open the door for you to sell chicken dinners? So that you can make money and buy material things and become rich towards yourself and poor towards God? So you can lay up treasures here on earth and not treasures in heaven? Don't lose sight of why God puts us where he puts us. A soldier is not to entangle himself, literally means to weave into his soldiering things that sidetrack him from his mission. One pastor writes this as a warning to the church. Many Christians, pastors, special ministries, and doctrinally sound churches have been undermined by concerns and activities that are innocent in themselves, but had been out our primary purpose, which is to preach Christ 
and him crucified and retain the, the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and have been entrusted to you. You are to guard them diligently because it's only the truth of the word of God that can set people free from sin. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God activated by the spirit of God convicts dead people spiritually of their need for forgiveness and God quickens them through the word of God. We're born again from above, not from the will of man as man repents from sin, recognizing their sinfulness and turning to Christ and trusting in him and bowing down at the feet of the cross and throwing themselves upon his mercy, the cross and the resurrection of Christ. It's the word of God that makes people aware of their sinfulness. It's the word of God that tells us of God's holy, righteous standard of perfection. You may think you're good, you're not. You may think you're better than someone else, you're not. None of us all. We've all sinned. None are righteous. No, not one. You may think your efforts are going to get to heaven, they're not. Only Jesus Christ and him crucified opens the door to heaven to those who repent of their sins and believe upon him. Period. That's the gospel. And why do we do that? So that we can please the one who enlisted us as soldiers. We live to please him, period. We don't live to please man. I will tell you this from personal experience. If you live to please man, you will be sorely disappointed. You will never be effective for the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ. You will be more concerned why people don't like you. You'll be more concerned why what you just said offended somebody. You'll be more concerned with all of those things rather than whether or not you've been pleasing to God by sharing the simple truth of his message with the lost world. We cannot be timid. We cannot be shy. We cannot be afraid. He has not given us that spirit, but of one of power and love and discipline. Stop worrying about what other people think of you and be more committed to pleasing God who has sent you on assignment. The third example is that of an athlete. Now, see, I don't know much about athletics. And so this is a really hard thing for me to understand and to deal with, but I'm going to try it anyway. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In verse 3, no soldier in active service entangles or weaves himself in the affairs of everyday life, never gets sidetracked so that he may please the one who's enlisted him as soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. He must follow the rules. God lays out the rules. Any athlete who wins only can win if they follow the rules. It doesn't lie, cheat, or steal. You know what? You ask yourself the question, why are so many Christians not effectively reaching others with the gospel? Can I share why? We're not following the rules. We're not following the rules. And, and, and we make up our own stuff. Because we don't want to offend people by telling them the truth. We don't want to use the word of God to, to allow God to show them how they do fall short of God's standard. We don't follow the rules. We live like hell. We live like the world. We, don't, we, we sin before God. We're in rebellion against God. And then we think that somehow God's going to use us for his purposes or for his kingdom. Come on. Hippo-Christians. I was in the clubhouse the other day, and the angel, I was talking to one of the guys, he said, yeah, he goes, when I was in Oakland, you know, we asked the guys to run around saying, oh, time for all the hippo Christians to go to chapel. You know, and he was making a very valid point. We say one thing with our lips, and we say another totally different thing with our life. Our lips and our life must be in union with one another. The reason that you and I do not 
are not used by God more effectively to reach others is because we're not following God's rules. We're not living a manner that's worthy of the, we're not living a life worthy of our calling. We need to start to do that. You know, what's interesting is, from a history lesson or standpoint, when you read this, even the most gifted and determined athlete bringing the most, uh, bringing the most effort, the, most, the, the greatest struggle, doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And there were three rules. As Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, there were three rules that were true. You know, the Greeks began, the, the, the quote, the Olympic Games. They were carried through as the Romans came in, into power, and they were still being actively contested on a regular basis. There were three rules. You know what the rules were in order to compete in the Games? Number one, you had to be a true-born Greek. Number two, you had to prepare at least 10 months for the games and swear to that before a statue of Zeus before you entered into a contest. And three, you had to compete within the specific rules for that given event in order to qualify for victory. Now, I want you to stop and think about something for a second. You had to be a true-born citizen in order to enter the race. You had to swear that you have been preparing and determined and your effort and discipline and your training in order to compete so that, you know, the games were competitive. And then the third is, whatever the rule of that event was, you had to be careful to adhere to it so that you weren't disqualified. Now, I want you to stop and think about this from a spiritual standpoint. Only those who have recognized their sinfulness, repented of sin, and trusted in Christ's death upon the cross and the resurrection are born again as true citizens of heaven. The fact that you and I are born again means that we meet the requirement to enter the race. Jesus Christ paid the entry fee for us to now enter the Christian race. That's why so often it's used as a metaphor, athletics, for spiritual life. We are now in the race. We have now got to be disciplined and determined to run the race so that we can compete with the strategies or the schemes of our enemy who wants to neutralize us from being used by God effectively for his kingdom. And now that we're in the race, determined to run it to the best of our ability, we've got to obey the rules that God lays out in the word of God. That's the only way that we can win the prize. See, that's why Paul said, I look forward to that imperishable wreath. I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I finished the course, and there awaiting me lies ahead the imperishable wreath that will be, you know, my crown, Stephophanus, that crown that will be waiting for me and all of God's people who long for and look for his appearing. Man, you know what? There's a day coming where we will be crowned according to how we ran the race. People, listen. You cannot be effective in the race if you are disobeying the rules that God clearly lays out. I talk to young people all the time. It's like, you know what? You can't reach your friend for Christ if you're involved in sexual immorality. You can't reach your friends for Christ if you're involved in drunkenness. You can't reach your friends for Christ if you're smoking dope with them. You can't reach your friends for Christ, gentlemen, in the business world if you're lying and cheating and stealing and doing whatever you have to do in order to remain competitive in a tough working environment. You can't reach others for Christ in any other way than by obeying the rules that God lays out. Anything short of that is nothing but blatant hypocrisy and the world sees right through hypocrites. But it has a tough time dealing with people who are the real deal. 
a real tough time. Writing to the believers at Corinth who were very familiar with the Ishmael games which were played nearby, Paul asked rhetorically, do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win and everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have reached others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's victory in the realm of ministry was dependent upon his body with all of its lusts and all of its impulses and all the temptations in this world not being in control of him, but rather he in control of it. And the same is true for us. We're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. And not to be conformed to this world, don't be like everybody else, but transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of God so that we know what the will of God is, we know what the word of God says, we know what the rules of God are, so that we can live in a manner that's worthy of our calling, so that God can use us greatly to make an impact on those around us who don't know Christ. We have got to obey the rules. A fourth and final example, and unfortunately the last thing that we'll talk about today, is that of a farmer. And it carries with it the idea of reward. In verse 6, back in 2 Timothy, he says, The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops. To a farmer, reward is what awaits at the end of hard work. This is what motivates him to prepare his land to receive seed. This is what motivates him to fight off weeds and pests. This is what motivates him to get up when it's still dark out, before the dawn, and go out to his field to get the field ready to receive the seed in, 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 in terrible weather conditions. This is what motivates him because at the end of all of it, there's going to be a great harvest and reward. This is what should motivate every believer to be used by God effectively for his cause and for his kingdom. Hardworking, the word hardworking means to toil intensely to the point of sweat and strain to a point of exhaustion. I'm going to tell you from personal experience, sometimes years will go by and you will not see any fruit of your labor as you toil in ministry for Christ. Personally, I don't have any idea for the most part what God does through the teaching of his word in this ministry unless I hear from a few people here now and the other. But you know what? That doesn't keep me from doing what I know I'm supposed to do. Because we may never see this side of eternity the results of our faithful labor in the Lord. You know, when I stood here on Friday before the people that were here for that memorial service, that was, ten, that was, that was the, the end result of 10 years of faithful living in an environment that was very difficult with no compromise. And it was at that point in time that they came to me and said, as she said, Chuck, promise me that you'll share the gospel with my friends and family that you'll speak at my service, that you'll be the one who will do it. Please promise me that is the last thing that she said before we left her that day and, and, and later to, to, that she died. And you know what? And that was a culmination of 10 years of a relationship where we lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord and many of those people that were here don't like us. And many of those people that were here hated what I had to say. But you know what? I considered a privilege and an honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. You should too. That's a tremendous honor. 
But you know what? That was 10 years. And there were many times in those 10 years where I thought, you know what? what? God, what are you doing through this? Don't worry about it, Chuck. I got a plan. You just keep being faithful. You just keep being diligent. We're in the sixth year of our ministry with the angels. And it was only the last few years that we saw any kind of fruit or evidence of anything, of all the toil and the hard work and all the insults and all the persecution and all the garbage that went on. When I went over to the clubhouse on Friday night after they got home from clinching in Texas and went around the, the clubhouse in the locker room, guys were coming to me and hugging me and thanking me for, our, for the times that we spent together. Last night, one couple came. We met them for dinner at a spur of the moment. And they said, you know what, i got a million questions to ask. We spent an hour and a half at the restaurant, and we invited them back at the house for three more hours of every question spiritually you could ever imagine somebody would ask. And we were able to share very clearly the gospel and the truth of the word of God. You know, there are times where you just want to give up because you're frustrated. There are times, I know it in your families, where you're like, I'm just so, I'm blue in the face. I'm tired of talking to them. I'm tired of going toe-to-toe with them. You know what? You don't have to go toe-to-toe. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to get upset. Why? Because you know, you know the truth. You shouldn't be frustrated by it. You need to recognize we're in a spiritual warfare. We need to be praying that God will prepare their hearts and open their ears and open their eyes to see spiritual truth, to open their hearts to receive the word of God. You just keep teaching Christ, preaching Christ and him crucified. You keep teaching the truth truth out of the word of God. And you know what? <laughs> we don't know when it will happen, but we trust God in his timing. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. We can just trust him that his timing is perfect. The farmer goes out and continues to toil, knowing that one day there will be a harvest and there will be a reward of his work. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. You know, many Christians' lives are like the farmers, you know. There's going to be times of excitement. There's going to be times of special satisfaction. But you know what? The daily routine is often in itself unattractive and unrewarding. Being obedient to Christ today may be unattractive and unrewarding. But you know what? At the end of the day, there will be a harvest. You know, the Bible says that we should make friends with the mammon of unrighteousness, money, so that one day in eternity they will thank us for using temporary money in order to reach them for the gospel. There will be people in heaven that will be there, and we, we don't even have a clue how we've impacted them just by living a life that was pleasing to God. Obviously, when the time comes, we've got to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. You've got to share the gospel, otherwise people are confused. They just think you're a good guy or a nice woman or whatever. You know, I'd never do that. Always defer the glory to the Lord. But the reality at the end of the day is that, you know what, there are going to be many opportunities we have. We don't even begin to understand the impact. That's why I love the tape ministry. And I love that people are taking tapes or CDs or whatever it's going to be and hand them out to people. And, you know, it's going all over the world. Why? Because it's the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that convicts people of sin. It's the Word of God coupled with the Holy Spirit that takes a dead person spiritually and brings them to life so that they're alive before God. It's the Word of God and only the Word of God. That's why we're to keep that that same standard that's been entrusted to us You know what? All faithful believers are promised God's blessing and reward one day. You know, it's interesting as I compare all these, you know, think about it. The teacher often finds exhilaration in inspiring the minds of the students, you know, and you get some kind of a feedback from the students, you know, I want to thank you, what a great year we had, you really challenged me, you've taught me a lot, thank you, blah, blah, blah. You know, a soldier, the same thing, you know, the excitement of battle, man, getting out there, oh, you can see it, you know, bang, bang, you see, somebody falls, there's an immediate result of what you do, you can see it, you know. An athlete, you know, when you think about an athletics, it's like, man, you know, the excitement of the competition and at the end of all of it, at the end, you win or you lose, you know, unless you play soccer, but, but that, that's a whole other story, you know, 
but, but there's always, you know, there's victory at the end of it, you know, but, you know, but you think about a farmer, man, you know, athlete even plays with the team for the most part, and a farmer, most of the time is just all along, just grinding it out, looking forward to the harvest. It's important that we never forget that our good works have nothing to do with keeping our salvation nor more, than they ha- nor more than any they have to do with us actually being saved. Because it's by God's grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us will boast. But yet the Bible also says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That faith without works is dead. You can profess anything that you want, but at the end of the day, how we live our life will say volumes about who we really are. Have you come to know Christ? At the end of this life, there's nothing else that will matter. Just as our friend recognized, you know what? Her job, her hobbies, her material possessions, nothing mattered but one thing, and that is that she had come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and her greatest burden was that her friends, her family, her children would come to know Him as well. Father, thank You for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for the word of God. Help us to not be distracted by the everyday entanglements of this life. Help us to endure suffering as good soldiers of Christ and avoid worldly entanglements that distract us from that which is eternal versus temporal. Help us to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've given us a spirit of power and love and discipline and not of timidity. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need to be bold witnesses for your sake that you've given us the same grace that was in Christ Jesus, that we are to be strong in that grace and in the power of his might, the strength of his might. God, we thank you for that. Help us today, this very day, to run the race and obey the rules that you lay out so that we can be more powerful in, in our testimony to others, that we don't contradict ourselves by hypocrisy. And may others, as they see the way we live our life, the manner that's pleasing to you, worthy of our calling, that they ask us to the point where we share the gospel, that all man is sinful and falls short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one, and all our works is filthy rags to God. But God loved us anyway, and he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. May we share the clarity of the gospel, that one must recognize their sinfulness, repent, turn from sin, and turn to God to seek his forgiveness and to believe that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, her sin, and that he was raised again three days later, affirming he is who he claimed to be, the only Savior of the world. Father, you told your angel to announce that he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus himself said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.